if you attended the Women Offshore Conference a couple weeks ago, then Kim Asher is probably a name that you are familiar with. Today, Kim is back to talk on the podcast and share her experiences as a trans woman. This is the Women Offshore Podcast. I'm your host, Ali Cedeno, a mariner and founder of Women Offshore. Women Offshore is a 501c3 nonprofit organization supporting a diverse workforce on the water. On day two of the Women Offshore Conference, we had some panel discussions to shine a light on areas that the industry kind of ignores and doesn't talk about at big events. And one of these was the LGBTQIA panel. This panel discussion was a space for mariners who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or questioning, intersex, an asexual, and or ally to network and discuss common issues and challenges with our community. Common issues and challenges include representation and visibility and how to incorporate personal identity into professional or student life. This was a captivating discussion where so many people got to listen to experiences from the LGBTQIA panelists and reflect on how they support members of the LGBTQIA community in their own life. Thank you to all of the panelists, including the moderator, Josh Quay, Kim Asher, who you're going to hear from today, James Spear, Corey Ablov, Jill Russell, and Kaki Flynn. As I mentioned, Kim Asher is back. She's going to talk to us more about being a trans woman, being a woman in the offshore industry, specifically offshore wind. I've known Kim for a while now through LinkedIn, and it's been a pleasure to know her and see her as an advocate for the offshore industry. She's very passionate about supporting other people, and I think you will see that in this interview. So with all that said, welcome, Kim, to the Women Offshore podcast. It really is a pleasure. I've been watching what you guys are doing, and being part of this is great. Thank you. I'm so excited to learn about your background and just learn more about you and how you're making waves in the industry. One thing I wouldn't mind starting with is my voice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's go into that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You talk just, about that? Let's slay that dragon. Why are you speaking to somebody that sounds like a man on the Women Offshore podcast? Well, I'm one of, I know of about four transgender women in the offshore industry. I'm one of them. I think. The other two, or sorry, the other three I know of in still oil and gas, and I have migrated almost exclusively now to renewables. So I think, I'm, so far as I know, I'm the only highly visible trans woman in that part of the industry. And one of the things that happens with voice is once you've been infected by testosterone, that's it, your vocal cords are stretched out, and it takes months of training, learn to try and speak with a different voice pattern, and I don't have the time, the energy, the resources, the commitment to do it right now. I've got so many other things going on. But if you saw me, it would kind of make sense as to why I'm on Women Offshore. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I've read your posts on LinkedIn, and we communicated first on LinkedIn and wanted to get to know you and figure out ways to support you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. And I'm glad you've connected with others in the industry and 
There are a few more on the maritime, traditional maritime side that I think you should know. A few more trans women and a trans man, I know. That's good to hear. And I think I think there's more than that. I think there are many more of us. I think there are non-binaries. I think there are a lot of the LGBT community who are living with some degree of in secrecy in the offshore sector. For many years, that, that was my state. And also the difficulty of accessing the resources you need to transition when you're on a ship. And then the fear of running out of hormones or the medical services you need all add up to making it very difficult. So, yeah, I think I think there's more than me and a couple of others. I think there's a lot yeah. more. Yeah. I, but, I bet there yeah. is. And building that sense of community, I can see how important that would be, how someone would have a lot of questions, especially if they've never worked offshore before. Yeah, and it's scary. Could, yeah, you could show them. I bet there would be a lot of concerns about it being a male-dominated industry and how they would be treated. Do you want to talk about that? Well, certainly. Look, the good news is things are changing, and I really feel that is an industry-wide change that is so positive. So let's highlight this, you know, like probably eight or nine years ago, I certainly was I had dealt with the fact that I needed to transition. So just, well, the one thing I would really want anyone to take away from hearing me speak about the subject is that you don't choose to suddenly wake up one morning and say, okay, I want to become a woman. That's not what this is. You are born with the brain chemistry, the brain patterns of gender that doesn't match your body the harvard medical school has done studies on this and so you know people such as myself from early infancy pretty much know that there's something not quite right but it takes a long time to get to a stage where you decide whether transitioning is right for you or not and there's a lot of problems you have to grapple with before you get there so once you start working offshore if that gets compounded and it is a daunting environment to handle this. I think the first time I tried to transition was actually about five years ago. And I'd started taking estrogen and various other drugs and hormones. And it was very early days. There were three people in particular that found out about it when I was on the ship. And then it became a joke. Well, I became a joke, and I was subjected to a relatively significant amount of abuse and really unsavory behavior. And it was the only time in my entire offshore career that I've ever walked off a ship when it went to port. I just couldn't be there before, you know, at all. And, and to put it in context, I've done two and a half, three thousand days on heavy construction vessels around the world in four continents. So I'm used to being offshore. It's definitely a second home to me, if not my first home most of the time. Yeah, so I walked off. How did you heal from that afterwards? Are you still healing? Well, I'm healed from it now, but, you know, the scar tissue, definitely. I spiraled into depression for about two years. I put on 40 kilos, which is about 88 pounds. I was in a very dark place mentally for quite a while, and I stopped transitioning and took on another job working down in Nigeria, sub-Saharan Africa, deep water offshore, and... There was one point where I was standing on the bridge wing. It was a very bright, sunny day. And I remember very definitively 
trying to grapple with whether I should just step off into the water or, you know what? Funnily enough, a friend of mine came out, my back-to-back, or actually it wasn't back-to-back, but he was on days, I was on nights. I think it was that way around. Anyway, he came out on the bridge wing and said hi and asked me how I was. He said, you look like you're in a very thoughtful place. Anything you need to talk about? And I didn't tell him. But it was enough to snap me out of it. And that was like the lowest point, I think. I'd been on that ship for about three months without going home. And yeah, and, you know, sometimes a ship is like a little bubble, isn't it? And you can, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a small place. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a small place to deal with stuff, especially when it gets out of control. And yeah, so at that point, I started to really heal. I took a year of very great therapy with a fantastic woman in Ireland, Orla. Hi, I'm going to tag you on this. I'll certainly send you a link to it. And thank you very much for getting me through that darkness and out to the other side. And she has actually not seen me since I've socially transitioned, which is incredible. So I was on hormones for about eight months where no one knew like yeah my doctor my therapist knew but i and my ex knew but none of us wasn't you know saw i got to a point where i didn't even realize i had breasts i'd been wearing sports bras and like trying to minimize everything wearing really androgynous clothing and trying to hide the changes from everybody and still working in the industry and i've got to go on the sidetrack if that's okay yeah go for it yeah so it got to a point where I took a job on land, and this was only about seven months ago, eight months ago, and I couldn't hide the changes anymore. I got to, at that point, about a B cup, and my other changes, like body hair and fat distribution and all of that kind of, my hair length, everything, meant for me to continue pretending to be a man was just increasingly difficult so there was one day i took a taxi to a department store i'm currently working in taiwan and the level of english here is quite patchy and my mandarin is non-existent but i took a taxi to a department store and i literally spent about six hours and i went from department to department like stripping off the man parts and putting the woman together and it was very bizarre it was really weird yeah i bet that there was a sense of freedom there it was amazing, but oh my goodness, I do. I made a lot of mistakes with clothes and makeup to start with. It's okay, to, we all do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to do like five or six years of being a teenage girl as a middle age, yeah, middle aged teenage girl in the space of a weekend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then going to work, going to work Monday morning. Yeah, having socially transitioned with no one really knowing I was going to do it. <laughs> this transition that you did compared to the first time when you were bullied and faced harassment? I have to say, it's changed. The industry has changed, like even in that three or four years gap. And I really do want to say a massive thank you to the team of people I've been working with at Seaway 7. They have been brilliant. Like they, they took it in their stride. I think don't know if it's the Dutch mentality of just like, yeah, just be yourself it's cool or if they're just really amazing people i had not one single problem with anyone i was working with that's amazing but seaway seven cool people very nice people thank you good if someone was to face the same level of harassment and bullying now what advice would you have for them you know if you are part of the lgbt plus community and you're, you're in a 
unsafe position, the first thing is get to safety. And the second thing is to share your experience and reach out for support and get to people who will help you. Those, those are really important things. Don't be alone. Don't suffer in silence. Make a noise about your situation and reach out for people that you know will or should be there for you. And if they're not, try and hold them to account for not being there for you when you need them to be. And certainly there are groups like Safer Waves that I want to talk about at some point, saferwaves.org. Amazing. They're really trying to push back mental health, you know, making us all a bit more sane. I love what they're trying to do. So there are some resources out there. You don't have to be alone. So, oh, look, it's going to happen. I don't know if you know this, Ali, but there are still 69 countries in the world where being some type of LGBTQIA plus or anything else in the alphabet soup I'm about half of those letters, or have been at some point in my life. There's the 69 countries where it's illegal to be one of us. Some of those countries, we can be put to death legally by the government. The amount of abuse that is there, and of course, the nature of our industry is you can go to sub-Saharan Africa, the Middle East, or, you know, a hundred plus countries on the planet anywhere with a coastline you know we can end up there and not all of the countries we go to are going to be tolerant not all of the crews we work with will, will be that tolerant so you need to really if, if you are part of the lgbt community and if you're visibly part of it like a trans person is you know we can't really always hide who we are we don't always pass like you know there's this term, passing, gender is a test. Well, no, it's not. We just are who we are. But, you know, I'm not particularly passing as a woman in terms of look, but I'm definitely very feminine looking. And there's no mistake at all about my gender identity when people meet me. But I still have a male bone structure, so I can't hide. I'm outing myself all the time, every single day to everybody. And so that means I have to be careful where I work, and anyone in the same boat with me has to as well. And if you are, able to hide and you have to then it's probably safer to do that of course but we also need to try and push back these boundaries and so I, i've made a very definitive conscious choice to be out and proud and to state my case and push back boundaries and you know what the vast majority of people i work with in the offshore industry are Okay, they might not be familiar. They might find it a bit weird seeing a trans woman for the first time walking onto the deck of a ship or, you know, on the back deck rigging up some spool or piece of equipment or something. But yeah, we can do it. We're there. We know as much as anyone else. And if you can banter with them and push back a bit and be part of the team and, and you can show your worth as being out there, then most people will accept you and grudgingly will give you respect. And over time, you can do what I do, which is once you've formed a relationship with people, you, you can then start to gently explain to them why perhaps calling you a tranny or sticking a picture of a chick with a dick on your cabin door is not actually the friendliest thing to be doing to us. 
Hey, it's Mark LaCour, Editor-in-Chief here at OGGN. Sorry for the interruption, folks, but I just want to share a few quick things for November. First, our industrial mixers here in Houston, November 17th. It's usually the last Thursday of each month, but because of the holidays, we're having to move stuff around. We're also launching a new live stream, OGGN Unscripted, on November 16th. We'll be at the Rockwell Automation Fair, November 10th through 11th. You can come free. We'll have a live podcast there. We'll be hosting some panels. And then we'll also be at the 23rd World Petroleum Congress, 5th through 9th, once again with live podcast and hosting a couple of panels. For this information and everything else, just follow us on social. Check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. And if you go to LinkedIn, go ahead and join the OGGN Street Team. I'll see you again next month. I love this concept of pushing boundaries. And at Women Offshore, we're always trying to find ways to advocate for others. And we know that as women, we can't do that by ourselves, right? The industry is very male-dominated. So we need men to advocate for women and really advocate for everyone because they're the majority of the industry. So what does an ally look like to you? How do they act? What is needed by male allies to make change? I think we need to rewind a bit, like a few hundred years, because back then the battle was for emancipation of slaves and then it was suffragettes and the ability for women to vote. And then it was, again, you know, racial tension in the 60s. And it was then the gay movement and pride. Actually, pride was started by predominantly a small group of black trans women in, in New York. So excellent, fantastic group of people. Great intersection happening there. And they really were able to change our community for the better. So yeah, I think all of these things, I just see them as human rights. And I think it doesn't help if we focus on saying, yeah, we need a better thing for people of color. We need a better thing for, for women. We need a better thing for LGBT. You know, it's not just about that. It's, it should be about human rights and pushing back the boundaries of human rights for everybody. And the starting point should be that that's you know you're first and foremost a human being and you're entitled to and should have access to all of the respect that comes with and that's that should be the starting point and then after that if there are groups of people who are not able to catch up with wherever everyone else finds finds themselves with opportunities or access to resources or training or experiences or getting into an industry or pushing back boundaries, then yes, it's, it's the responsibility of an ally to recognize that and, and to be aware of these dips that are creating an unlevel playing field and, and to find policies and procedures that can help with that. And to recognize as well, I think organizations need to realize that, that diversity and inclusion are very important and there's more than one way to do things. You know, I mean, I jokingly always think that construction vessels should have a health spa just at the end of a 12-hour shift, you know? Like, I think seriously. a lot of people feel that way, actually. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. You do a 12-hour shift. You've been on the deck. You're covered in grease and oil and, and hydraulic fluids and sludge and grime. You've just ripped a nail off and you're just feeling like crap and your hair is sprouting out on your legs and you just want to go somewhere and just have somebody do something nice. It's like, okay, clean me up, save me. <laughs> and then, you, then you can fall into bed in your cabin, get some sleep and start it all again tomorrow. Why can't we have that? So that's the thing. I think one of the things 
that I really don't like is that, okay, it's great that there are more women going offshore now, and it's great that we are finding more support and inclusion, but it's still a very masculine feeling environment. It's still stark and cold and metallic, and, you know, why can't we just fluff it up a bit? So, you know, why can't we be a bit more feminine out there? We shouldn't have to force ourselves to act and feel and be more masculine so we can fit in there. And certainly, I mean, I've been moving in the other direction for years and I don't want to be turning backwards just so I can, you know. So, so for me, I am pushing pushing the boundaries. And, you know, I think there are only three people that have seen me without a full face of makeup since I socially transitioned and none of them work offshore with me. <laughs> Thank you for sharing all of your wisdom. I know with this interview, I wanted to really get to learn you, but I do appreciate you educating us and sharing your thoughts. And hopefully, we're opening up some minds in this interview. I hope so. I hope so. That's one of the reasons I'm here. Definitely the biggest one, I think, except for maybe mental health. So what would you say you're most passionate about when it comes to the maritime industry? Almost always, number one is people. It takes a certain type of lunatic to sit in a metal can for a few months and then <laughs> think that we have the ability to power countries and keep international trade moving against all of the odds. And somehow we do it. So, you know, yes, there are different clusters of us. And yes, we're drawn from a whole range of different backgrounds and different countries and different specialties. But, you know, everyone that, that has the ability to thrive offshore and fit into a team and just be part of that community on a ship is a special kind of lunatic. They're my kind of lunatic. <laughs> and I love, I love that we can do that. So it starts with the people and with any project, you know, cause I, I've obviously done quite a lot of management roles and been senior client or OIM and, you know, other, other more, more sort of responsible for groups of people type roles in my career. And, my philosophy about it's really simple. If you take care of the people, they will take care of the work. Almost everybody out there knows their jobs. They know how to follow a procedure. They know how to do things safely. They've had the training. Most of them wouldn't be there otherwise. And if you let them feel they have your support and let them feel they're part of a team and make sure that they are encouraged and looked after they will generally get on with the work. And actually, there aren't that many things a sailor needs to be happy. Good, clean cabins, good communications home, good food. That's about it. <laughs> it's not difficult. So that's important. So people, always people, number one. And then I think number two, really, it's about the toys we play with, you know, like 10,000-ton cranes. And I worked on one project off Congo several years ago. And um, we actually built something that was taller. It was underwater, of course, but it's taller than the Burj Khalifa, you know, the world's tallest oh, building. Wow. No, it's not. We built something taller, only you can't see most oh, of it. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Yeah, right. You know, so we do some cool stuff, and I love the big toys. And where else can you play with something? I mean, you know, there are ships now touching almost a million metric tons in, in gross weight. You know, that's insane insane volumes of, of metal and, and toys we get to play with. And we do things that literally support the bedrock of civilization. We are powering nations and we are, you know, shipping all of these commodities around and, and connecting economies together. And, and really, in, we are so fundamental to so many things that people don't realize. 
and yet I don't know. I just that first priority, people. I, I just feel a lot of people have been really neglected and let down by their governments and sometimes by their companies and ship owners. And in the last year or two, it's just been it's been really it bad. It has been. Mm-hmm. It's been a yeah, humanitarian yeah. crisis. It absolutely has been, Ali. And you know, hundreds of thousands of sailors right now are stuck away for. You know, some I've heard stories over eighteen months, coming up to two years, unable to get off their ship. That's monstrous. That is a humanitarian crisis. It is for one person, but for hundreds of thousands of people, it's absolutely, it's beyond description. But it's hidden. Yeah. So and yeah. as the economy keeps moving, they move the economy, and it's so unfortunate yeah. that they're stuck on board. And it's something we've been talking about for a while, right? As an industry at Women Offshore, I went on the news and talked about this. I went on TV, and that was over a year ago now. And I thought it would have been over by now. Yeah, you'd think, right? I heard a story, I'm not going to go into the names of companies or governments or anything else at all. It makes no difference because, you know what, this is endemic. It's around the whole world right now. But there was a story, there was one guy whose wife died and it took almost 10 days to get him off the ship and back home. Can you imagine the state of mind that man must have been in? by the time he got off the ship. And I heard that he was actually was able to operate very professionally. I don't know how he did it. He's he's stronger than, than I think I could have been in that situation. Absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, there's a thousand stories like that or, or you know, similar. And then just the length of time. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it as well. You know, if you get some new people come onto a ship very soon, if, they, if it's like their first time ever to go offshore, you can see people who don't fit in. They kind of, they will gradually isolate themselves from the group of people around them. They they come, they become quite introverted. They they stop engaging with things. And and I always have tried to reach out and pull them back in gently but firmly as well. But eventually, some of them will will you know by the time we get to a first port call, they are begging to get off the ship. You know, out of their own choice, they just don't fit in there. Now I think. For some people, that takes just a few days. But I think all of us are in that situation after a certain length of time. It's a breaking point. And, and when you've got people out there for a year, a year and a half, that's insane length of time to be in such a, an artificial environment. When a new country opens its borders and says, yeah, let's do wind farms or let's develop oil resources or let's build a, a new international port, you know, a, a trading hub, it can literally change the economy of a country and it can that can change the fabric of its relationship with with its neighbors and and the broader international community and you know so you get a bunch of tattooed grunts on a lump of metal for a few months and we are literally shaping the fabric of international politics and we don't realize the impact we have if we do it right or if we do it wrong but it's really significant and i think if you put those three things together the people the toys we play with and the impact it has on society, those are the three things I'm most passionate about and the, the way they work together because I think that's that's important. They're not isolated. They're all the same thing. So, Kim, before we end, is there anything else you would like to share about your career and experiences? Is there anything else you want us to know? 
Oh, Annie, that's so unfair because I could rattle on for honestly for ages. I believe like, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think mean, seriously, like I've just I've just started doing my longest ever onshore role, and that's managing loadouts for vessels on a project down here in Taiwan. And it's the longest time I've been on land for over a decade, and it's kind of weird. Cause I've suddenly found myself I have access to a kitchen again. Yeah. So I lost almost a hundred pounds in my transition when I started estrogen, but since I've had a kitchen again, it's starting to go back on because I can't stop myself cooking and like every single night. Tonight, I, oh, I can't even tell you. I'm putting weight on again, which is really <laughs> a problem because now I can't fit my clothes. And that means I have to go shopping again. It's terrible. So what else? What else do I want to talk about? Well, I'm not one-dimensional. You know, I do art and fine art photography. I've written books on art theory. I do music production. And and don't think of trans people or anyone who's coming into the industry from my perspective as somebody who's one-dimensional. We're not. We are people the same as everybody else. We're complex. We're in, interesting We've got stuff to do, and gender shouldn't be anything to do with whether we can or can't do anything. We are just people trying to do the best we can with the lives we've got, trying to be comfortable in our own skins, and that's where we're at. So help us. Reach out, say hello, ask questions, be curious, but in a respectful way. I'm happy, always happy to answer questions, I'm always happy to break down boundaries. I, I prefer building bridges and the walls. And I think we could all be in a better place if everyone else was doing the same. That is beautifully said. Not that I'm perfect. I'm really not. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So Yeah. If someone wants to talk with you, can they reach out maybe over LinkedIn? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Look, you know what? Certainly, I am really a strong advocate for anyone who's who's transgender, non-binary, LGBT+. I'm also lesbian and really out and proud about that, as well as the fact I'm trans. I am in a, a long-term stable relationship with a, with a fantastic woman. And so anyone, I'm very aware acutely of the challenges facing people in, in our community. I'm happy to be part of the solution. I'm happy to be a listening ear. I'm happy to be a champion for anyone that's feeling beleaguered or not getting support. I will signpost them to somewhere they can get help. I will do whatever I can for them. And equally, if somebody is trying to manage somebody who's part of our community and doesn't know how to do it, get in touch. Ask me some questions. I've survived more than a few questions in my life. Believe me, get in touch. Don't be shy. Say hello. I won't bite your hand off. And if I do, there'll be a good reason for it. So yeah, happy to help. So LinkedIn, you can find me there. I'm sure Ali, you'll signpost my LinkedIn profile. Yeah, we can I also put have the my own website. Oh, you have your own yeah, website. Thanks. Okay. Yeah, I haven't finished building it yet, but I've, at least it's up there, kimasha.com. So Perfect. if you know my name, you can find me on the web. Yeah. It's still just a construction page, but yeah, it's there. Oh, thank you, Kim. Thanks for being such a strong advocate for others. Thank you for sharing no your career with us today and who you are. I have learned a lot from you and appreciate you and appreciate how open you are and that you are shining a light on issues in the industry in general, but definitely advocating for trans and LGBTQIA+. So, <laughs> the alphabet soup. Yes. Thank you so much.
Hey, Ali, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure, and you guys are great. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, thanks for being a part of Women Offshore. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Women Offshore podcast. What did you think of the show? Leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Additionally, if you want to propel Women Offshore forward, please visit womenoffshore.org or womenoffshore.shop. Make a donation or purchase some swag. Until next time, stay safe out there and I'll talk to you soon.